by the way, I got to show you this. You know, you're vacationing in Canada. <laughs> this is off the wall. Yeah, that's sick. <laughs> in Canada, 2002, eh? All this, there's all this memorabilia like all over this place. Dude, Isn't that's, that funny? That is they've great, got, man. They've got like a Blue Jays. They've got like a World Series like Blue Jays thing. 1990. What year did they win? 80. 92, 93? 92, 93. Dude, Joe I, Carter. That's the last, I think it was uh, Kuiper, one game. He's like, he was talking about Joe Carter's. It was a walk-off Grand Slam, I think, in either 92 or 93. Yeah. To win the World You're Series. Right. He goes, win the effing World Series, bro. Insane. Yeah. He goes, that's the last swing you take in the backyard when you're playing with your brothers yeah, or your literally friend. you're playing wiffle ball world series bases loaded yeah. grand slam yeah. yeah gotta go in for dinner yeah. see you later yeah. bye <laughs> hoy hoy welcome to head games the science and psychology of sports i'm dr brett levine joined as always by dr ben rosenberg ben how are you doing okay today brett you are in a cabin how are you i'm in a cottage ben they call them cottages, cottages. Is that yeah. a Canadian Canadian thing? They only have cottages. Shout there. out, shout out to Canada. Shout out to uh, the province of Ontario. I've heard a lot about Muskoka. This is my first time in Muskoka. It's basically just north of Toronto, as you probably can guess. It's just a bunch of lakes, beautiful lakes and trees. And like we always used to come here during the winter when it was mm. miserable. Mm. And I'm like, why do people live here? And mm. now, I mean, I, I, we went up to like this other place a few years ago. But this is my first time, like, on a real, like, Canadian lake in the summer. And it's like, mm. I get it now. I nice. understand why people endure the winters because this is amazing. The water's warm, trees, everything is in bloom. Uh, you get to stay in cute little cottages like this. Cute so. cottages. Wait, so yeah. let me ask you this. Yo. Have you eaten any poutine? Yes. Dude, great. Yeah. yeah. Are you a big fan? Big fan? I gained at least four pounds. Yeah. <laughs> Just from poutine solo. Poutine's amazing. It's great. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, dude, it's gravy and fries. Like, how could you go wrong? And cheese curds. It's amazing. And cheese curds. Yeah. 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 All right. Let's get to this. Um, we're continuing this theme of COVID and sports. And now that, you know, all three sports are in full swing. And um, there's certainly a lot of these variables. And I think there's some very interesting psychological takes on all this stuff that we've been talking about over the last few weeks. And um, it continues. Um, we're gonna talk a little bit about risk in this episode. Um, but for some news, we should probably talk about what's been going on in the uh, three major sports that are back. So hockey's back. Um, I think last week or two weeks ago, I said it was just in Edmonton. Um, and I made fun of you because you didn't know if that was a state or a province. True. Yeah, uh, true. <laughs> which, which was it again? I forget. Edmonton is a city and a province, you dingbat. What, um, what province? Alberta. Got it. Alberta. Okay. Yeah. Got it. All right. So, so there's a bubble in Alberta, in Edmonton, um, for hockey. There's also a bubble in Toronto. Um, they have, and this is, uh, we're recording this um, August 9th, there are no positive tests in wow. NHL. Um, uh, as far as I know, there's no positive tests. Mm -hmm. NBA hasn't had any either as yep. of yet. 
And baseball is another story. And I think that's what we're going to get into today. Although I think there's something that can be said about um, these attitudes with other players. So real quick for baseball, we all know, um, I think most currently there's been an outbreak on the Cardinals. They haven't played in a week. Tomorrow's game is canceled. And um, uh, the next games this week are also sort of TBD. Uh, you can you can bucket them with the Marlins and the um, Phillies, who each had seven games canceled each, and um, it's a big uh, it's a, it's a topic on today's episode, which is risk. Um, in particular, what was going on with the Marlins? There was word that came out that was later sort of uh, debunked by Derek Jeter that the players actually went out to like a club. <laughs> During, uh, during the pandemic and, and within a state where, uh, you know, there's like a lot of cases in Florida, right? Um, Miami Marlins players went out and um, supposedly um, contracted coronavirus and it spread throughout the team. It wasn't just a handful of players, it was like a lot of players and they tried to, you know, play it, downplay it or whatever. Um, but I think that's, um, it's something worth talking about. Like, why are guys doing this? You can throw in Dwight Howard there because Dwight Howard, based on, I guess, not, I don't know if it's risk-taking, but his, his beliefs were that he's, he's an anti-vaxxer and he's like, I don't believe in vaccines and I'm not wearing yeah. a mask, which is, I think to TJ's point last week, it's easier to control those behaviors when you're in a bubble as opposed to yeah, what we're seeing sure. with what's going on in baseball, where you have complete autonomy to go to clubs. The, the prevailing idea or the, the rationalization, which I think is easy, is that um, professional athletes are younger, they're really healthy, uh, and they're young and dumb, I guess is, is yeah. a way to categorize them. And, and this is not to say that professional athletes as a whole are dumb. The saying is that they're young and they feel that they're invincible. And I think a lot of right. other young people, professional athletes or not, are also sort of behaving the same way. Right. And the topic today and, and the question posed to you is that there might be uh, other things going on. It's not just a simple categorization of, oh, uh, these players are young and dumb, but there's other processes that are going on. It's a little bit deeper than just yeah. something very like surface level. So why don't you explain a little bit about what might be going on and, and dig a little bit deeper into this? Yeah, I mean, you make a, a really good point that is applicable to baseball and other sports, but also to the world more broadly, right? Or the US at least, we're seeing the biggest growth of cases among a younger kind of age group at this point. And so it begs the question, like, what, what the heck's going on here? And I mean, the, the kind of default response of that they're young and dumb is probably like partially true, right? They're young, they feel like they're less likely to get this seriously, which the data seem to support. But there's also some more stuff I think going on behind the scenes that it's worth talking about. So looking in the, the psych literature, there's a term that's, I think, particularly important here, which is risk perception. So people make decisions about the kinds of behaviors they're going to engage in, at least partially based on their perception. And when we're talking about risk perception, it's two things, right? It's whether or not I think something is going to happen to me. In this case, okay. am I going to get COVID? And the second piece is if I do get it, how bad will it be, right? So those two things combine to form our risk perception, how bad I think, how risky something is, how risky it is for me to engage in a given behavior. So there's a few points I think that are worth looking at a little bit to help explain players and other young people's behavior. 
The first is that our current emotional state, what psychologists call affect, um, influences our perceptions of risk, right? So if I'm in a crappy mood, if I'm not feeling great, I'm more likely to perceive that an event or mm -hmm. doing something will lead to bad outcomes for me. Okay. The converse of that is that if I'm feeling good, happy, positive about things, stoked to be back playing baseball again, yep. that I'm less likely to perceive that an event is going to bring negative outcomes to me if I go right. and do it. Okay. So if I hear you right, risk perception is two things. Number one, it's what's the probability that I get this thing? Yep. And number two is how bad is it going to be when I get it? Yep. And I think on the surface, like full stop right there, that is also sort of young and dumb, you know, but it's not so dumb because number one, the probability of getting COVID while a lot of people have it is, is low in any one circumstance, yeah. yep. right? If 1% of a, a state has it, that's a lot of people. But right. if one out of every 100 people has it, the probability is pretty low. Still very low. Yeah. And the research says that even if I do get it, if I'm young, no problemo. Probably. Like a lot of, you know, a lot of yeah. people are, are you know, pretty much okay. It's, it's really affecting like yeah. elderly people or people with preexisting conditions. Yeah. So on the surface, um, that seems on par. A logical what, decision. Yeah. Right. Okay. And now what you're saying is the, the first part of that though, the first part being um, what's the probability of me getting this? When I weigh that out in my head, if I'm going to go to a club mm -hmm. and I think, well, uh, you know, let's say I'm like eh, one out of every, I don't know how many people or the probability is low. That is going to depend also on how I'm feeling at that moment. Exactly. Like if I'm feeling yep. good, I'm going to be like, I got it. And if I'm feeling exactly. bad, I'm going to be like, Ooh, I don't know. Exactly. So I'm not purely weighing out the facts when I make these decisions, right? And, and as you said, the facts kind of support, it's a bad idea to go to a club. Don't go to a fucking club. But the facts kind of support that type of thinking, right? Inst, inst, inst. Because as you said, the data show that it's, it, it, this is everywhere, right? COVID is everywhere. It's very right. transmissible, but your odds of getting it are still quite low. You yeah. increase them quite a bit if you do something like go to a club. But we're not simply weighing out those facts in a logical manner as we make these decisions. The way that we're feeling, as you said, plays into the decisions that we make, plays into the perceptions that we have about the okay. event. Right. Okay. Uh, is that it? But it's just my mood and then that's it is and that's that what we're course, it? that's Of course that's not it. So this, I want to just also, you know, kind of to rewind, preface this by saying this literature on risk perception is absolutely massive. And we're just pulling out a few particularly relevant things here. Okay. So just to sort of frame that more. Don't uh, at broadly. me. Yeah. Don't at me. Risk perception researcher who is never going to watch. This. You're going to get annihilated. Keep good, going. Dude, good. This Please. More eyes on us, the better. So a second pers perspective that I think lends a little bit to our discussion is this really interesting phenomenon um, that we see across a whole bunch of risk perception areas. And the idea is that when people make risk perception judgments about how Definitely. likely it is something is to happen to me, mm -hmm. we're much more optimistic in our judgments about ourselves versus oh, yeah. other people. Oh yeah. In other words, oh, yeah. I'm never going to get cancer from smoking. I'm never going to get in a car accident. I'm never going to get divorced. Yep. Those people over there, that shit's going to happen to them. Right. Not going to happen to me. So we're right. overly optimistic in these kind of assessments that we make. 
I've heard about this idea of exceptionalism, especially during COVID. Like I'm yeah. more privy to information than other people. Yeah. Is that the same thing? Is it intertwined as being overly optimistic and that I'm, I'm unique or I'm the exception or is it different? The optimism thing, the phenomenon with that, I think is, is a sub kind of piece of the tendency to think that we're exceptional, right? Okay. This is just part of it. This is one kind of perceptual cognitive part of it where our perceptions of ourselves are at least partially based on this kind of tendency to be overly optimistic about risk assessment. And again, they've done studies on this tendency in a lot of different arenas, none that I know of specifically on COVID, but really, really relevant stuff, right? Again, like perceptions of likelihood of getting in a car accident, likelihood yep. of getting a, of a smoker getting a smoking related illness. That again is crazy to me. I'm a smoker. I'm less likely than these other smokers to get lung cancer or whatever, right? Are you a smoker? Overly man? optimistic. No. You have a secret smoking habit? You have a secret smoking habit. Dude. I yeah, dipped right. a little bit when I played baseball, but that shit's disgusting. Cultural. All right. Cultural. Okay. All right. So I'm hearing two things. I'm hearing two things that you're saying that sort of explain those first two things you said. Mm -hmm. Number one was, uh, what's the probability that I'm going to get this thing? How bad is it going to be? Yeah. Under that, you've already explained two other ideas, right? Um, number one was, um, I'm forgetting the first one because um, I'm on vacation. Your, your, your affect, how you're feeling. Right, your you're emotional feeling. Right. state. Mm -hmm. And the second one was this, this level of optimism. Okay. Correct. And those help explain the assessment of risk? Yes. Just the first thing, the assessment. Okay. Correct. They and I think both of those make sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they help explain the extent to which we perceive an event is likely to impact us, or, or in this case, again, that we're likely to get COVID or, or yeah. not get COVID. Okay. Um, so the third thing I think that's really important takes the next step, right? It tries to link our perceptions about risk, which is what we've been talking about, the things that influence our perception of risk. It tries to link okay. that with people's actual risky behavior. Okay. So it's been presumed for years in this research that one is linked to the other. That if I perceive something as being more risky, that I'm less likely to engage in it, right? That, Seems that pretty one simple. X causes, yeah. causes Y. Right. Seems pretty simple. And there's all these, these correlational studies, right? Where they just measure a bunch of stuff that shows yep. that X is related to Y. That risk perception is related to my risky, risk-taking behavior. So a couple of years ago, these pretty well-known social psychologist researchers did a meta-analysis. They took a shitload of experimental studies okay. and combined the data from them because they wanted to test this specific question. Is risk perception related to risk-taking behavior? Okay. And the answer is much more nuanced than we would think, right? It's not always that perceiving something as risky is going to lead me to decide not to engage in it because I perceive it as risky. Right? It's not a clear one-to-one -one relationship. That doesn't make any sense though. If, if, if I think, if I think you know, going to a crowded supermarket is a bad idea, you're saying I'm actually going to do it? Even though if I'm like, wow, this is really risky, I'm still going to do it? It's not necessarily that you're going to do it, but it's not that you're not, it's not, not going to do it either. Right? It's not a clear one-to-one -one thing. That there's lots of other stuff, lots of other factors emotional state, like we talked about before, social influence, what the people around us are doing, yeah. norms. 
there's all these other factors that influence that relationship okay. from perceiving something as risky and deciding whether or not I'm going to do it. Okay. So we're talking about three things. We're talking about your emotional state when you make a decision. If I'm feeling good, I'm feeling great. Let's do this. Or I'm not feeling great. I'm not going to do it. Uh, the second one was your level of like optimism about mm -hmm. it, just in general that uh, on the whole, on the average is, is people, not just within risk assessment, we are generally optimistic about our own perceptions versus the everybody else. Is right. that true? Right. Okay. And then the third one being um, this like counterintuitive thing where it's like, even when all of this yeah. risk is weighing on me, I'm still going to do it. Potent potentially, right? It's, it's, it's again, that it's not a one-to-one -one relationship. It's a, there's risk. I could perceive it as being risky, but a lot of other things happen between X and Y. A yeah. lot of other things happen between my perceiving something as risky and deciding whether or not I'm going to do it. So all right. again, are all my team, are all my teammates saying, yeah, fuck it. We're going to go to the That's another variable. Yeah. That's fun. another thing. Yeah. Peer pressure. Peer pressure. Exactly. So this linkage between what I think about something and whether I'm going to do it or not is like very, very well established kind of inconsistent relationship in the literature. People's attitudes yeah. don't always predict their behavior across a whole range of circumstances. So then it screws with the first one, which was like how you're, no, well, okay, let's clear that up. The first one is how you're feeling. Right. The right. third one was your, is your attitude, which is definitely right. in the way that you're feeling. Okay, right. so let's clear that up. So let's talk about the Marlins. Let's bring this all back, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A big group of Marlins players went. Let's just say, let's just say, you know, 14 guys went to a club. You're explaining this in the literature based on, number one, they're feeling good, mm -hmm. right? They're the Miami Marlins, they're not a great team, but you know what? They're professional baseball players in Miami and life's good. Yeah, we're going to a club. All right, well, and think one. about it. They're excited. Baseball's back, right? They've been sitting on their asses for the last five months, just like everybody so else. So generally, they're, they're in a like, good mood. They're stoked. Yeah, we're back yep. with the guys. We're throwing the ball around again. All like, right. They're, they're excited. Okay, so that's number one. Number two, they're overly optimistic, maybe because they're professional players and they get the best doctors and they get the best information. Yep. They're like, I know more than other people, and therefore, I have this protective barrier around me and nothing's yep. gonna, it's all good and we've got the best the best yep. medicine and we're in good shape that's number two yep and three is you're saying that their their attitude okay mm -hmm. even if their attitudes are eh, i don't know i'm a little bit risky right the literature has shown that that can be shattered based on other variables other stuff other like factors, yeah. peer pressure like uh, belief in aliens uh other anything anything, anything else anything yeah, I mean, the main things I think you hit, right? Peer pressure, there's really, really, really strong drive, especially on teams and groups like that to conform to kind of the norms of the group, right? Mm. So particularly- Team aspect, yeah. Team aspect. So guys want to live up to kind of the, the team norm, what everybody else is doing. So that can be something that, as you said, can shatter that relationship between oh, okay. me perceiving it as risky and- saying, well, screw it. I'm going to go ahead and do it anyways. Okay. So uh, bringing this together, I think a lot of people just say, okay, players are young and dumb. And if you can, if you're older than, if you're not in your twenties anymore um, and you go back and you, you know, you put yourself in that mindset, um, is it, is it easy enough to say, oh, I remember being that age and I just kind of did stuff. I didn't think before I acted, especially when your prefrontal cortex isn't fully developed. Right. But yeah. 
what, what you're saying is, is that there's actually a lot of other stuff that's going on beneath the surface. Absolutely. Is, it, is this stuff occurring even if we're not conscious of it? Is, it, are my brain, is my brain making this calculation? If I'm 25 years old, my brain is still making these calculations, even yeah. though I'm not aware of it. You're saying it's how I'm feeling in that moment. Um, I have higher levels of, of optimism because I feel like I'm special. And, um, you know, this weird other category that even if I have this attitude that it is a risk factor, that like it's easily influenced by my environment. All of this stuff is being calculated before I decide to go to a club. Absolutely. And it's happening is, as you said, it's not most of it, at least happening at a conscious level. Like if we take a step back, most of human thinking can be kind of framed as two different systems, right? And we've talked about this some. There's your fast kind of quick assessment of a situation and then your slower, more drawn out judgments. So the first system me making a quick kind of judgment about something is based on things that we've talked about my emotion what's happening around me what the guys near me are doing that yep. i'm not really necessarily consciously thinking about right yep. whatever kind of decision or judgment i make in that first stage influences my ultimate decision in the second stage that's a bit more conscious so if i make a judgment of like everybody's going to go do this. I'm going to be the shithead sitting at the hotel. If I don't mm -hmm. go do this, this is all again happening unconsciously. That yep. judgment's going to influence what I decide to do in the moment. Do I go to the club or not? Do I is go this put what, myself at risk or not? Right. We were talking about this back in episode three, I believe, where we're talking about racism is that yeah. the brain is split into these two parts. Number yeah. one is like the quick thinking, the fast thinking one, which... Um, is decent, but it's inaccurate, right? But it saves energy and it influences the second one, which is slower and yeah. more thoughtful and more accurate, but requires more energy. You're saying that's the case also with processing risk because yeah. even though in the, in the moment when I'm 25 years old, I'm like, I'm going to the club. It's a fast thinking thing that is actually kind of calculating all that stuff. It's calculating the risk for me quickly. It's not always accurate. It's not always a good decision but that's the way brains work in general is sort of like this blanket theory. It's a pretty damn good blanket theory. I mean, certainly there are nuances, right? Other factors are gonna enter into the equation, but it seems across a lot of psych research that those two systems come out over and over and over again. And right before we got on, I was just reading a paper about risk perception that was talking about this dual process kind of model right oh, wow. where our initial kind of unconscious hit about something influences our subsequent slower more processed more deliberate thought about something right that ultimately will, will in, impact the decision that we make interestingly right. though it's also in the paper i was just reading it's it's recursive right like the decision we ultimately make feeds back into that initial kind of unconscious perception, which then affects the next decision we make and so on and so forth, right? So if yep. it goes in a circle. That makes sense. Okay, yeah. well then, okay, let, let's talk about this though. The whole idea of this focusing on baseball is that there's no bubble and there's an autonomy yeah. and guys can right. at any moment decide to go to a club in Miami or Cleveland or wherever they may be, right? Right. 
Um, I wouldn't rule out the fact that this is not going to happen within an NBA or an NHL bubble because guys can maybe violate that in certain ways or they can do riskier things, right? It just might be more probable in something like baseball where there's no bubble. So I think it is worth talking about. Two questions for you. Number one, um, I like sports. Uh, I like watching professional sports. I want to keep watching them and I don't want there to be outbreaks because guys go to a club. If you're Major League Baseball or you're any of these organizations that might be concerned about this, number one, how do we fix it? And number two, make a prediction. What are we going to see in the future? Well, I mean, I think we've clearly got enough evidence at this point to show that the bubble is the way to go, right? Like you're taking away as much of that kind of individual decision-making that you're getting at from the players as you can you're saying you guys can do whatever the fuck you want in this bubble Mm. but as soon as you go out you have to quarantine when you come back in you have to get all these negative tests before you can even re-engage with anybody look at what happened with lou lou williams when he went out right like he went out he went to a club it was publicized immediately comes back in he it takes a long time for him to get reintegrated into the team yep MLB, these dudes went to a club or whatever they did, guys test positive and they played the next day. Yeah. Right. So there's all, there's just too much variability when they're not in a bubble, clearly. So, I mean, the the, obviously, you don't trust them. You don't trust them. What you're saying is like the only way to do it is to do the bubble. You're saying, you're saying people are going to think this way no matter what. And you don't trust people. And that's that. Yeah. I mean, people just, aren't always going to make logical decisions. I mean, that is economics. If, if they've learned nothing else has learned that people aren't always rational thinkers. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. even though these guys know that the risk is potentially great of getting COVID and that what might happen could be really, really, really bad, they aren't necessarily going to act in line with that perception. Yep. Yep. Okay. Make a prediction. What's going to happen in the future. Are we going to see more of this? Because I don't think baseball's bubbling anytime soon. Yeah, baseball's not going to bubble. Doesn't seem like football's going to bubble. Um, man, I just, I wish I was more optimistic about the future of these things. I, I just, I don't foresee baseball lasting all season. Um, wow, really? I also, this is going to go even more out of the limb i i think football maybe makes it through week four or something oh I mean, my god i just like I, we talked about this before like i don't understand the guidelines they're putting out like so guys can smash into each other for 60 minutes and then they can't exchange fucking jerseys after the game like right. it, yeah, it, the it doesn't make sense right the policies aren't aren't congruent with the reality of how this thing is transmitted and so because they're not going to be in a bubble, it's just, I'm, I'm not optimistic. I wish I could be. I mean, on the other hand, though, you look at like PGA Tour, they have done pretty well. They've had a bunch of events. They've been playing for a while. Yeah. Um, very different, right? Obviously, it's not a yeah. contact sport in the same way. Yeah. Social distancing is sort of built in. Right. But they've been playing for a while and they're not in a bubble. These guys go home to their wives and kids and whatever. And like, they've been okay. So... Yeah. I would love to be more optimistic. I just knowing as much as we know about human behavior and human decision-making, I am, I'm not overly optimistic. <laughs> Great way to end the show on a positive note. Yeah, Although you have try. had the ability to end it on positive notes in the past. I don't blame you because uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, it sounds like people are going to people 
And uh, the yeah. only way to really control for that is to kind of clamp down, especially when you're yeah. uh, young and dumb. <laughs> young and dumb. I mean, the bottom line really is I think if they want, if leagues want this stuff, if they want to continue playing, they need to bubble, basically. That's, yep. what's, that's what's happening right now. And whether they do that or not, I mean, baseball is not, I would love to see football go to like an island or something and just freaking play, man. Like I need some fantasy football in my life, like really bad, like yeah. real bad. Yeah. So that'd be great if they could do that, <laughs> but I don't think it's going to fucking happen. Okay. Well, we'll tweet it out. We'll see what happens. Please rate and subscribe yeah. where applicable for the show. You can find us on Twitter at HeadGamePsych. You can find me on Twitter at Dr. Brett Levine. And you can find that guy on Twitter at BD Rosenberg PhD. More of our content is on Psych Today. If you want to read, uh, some of the topics are posted up there. Although we haven't written in a while, maybe we should probably yeah, do we that. Need to. I was, yeah, we should Big, talk about that. We should. Big thanks to uh, Josh, your boy Josh Baca for editing and producing the show. And thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in.